0: It's the 11th of October, 2019. This is the Room Now Podcast, and I'm Dr. Jack Cush, Executive Editor of RoomNow.com. This week, we're going to talk about a few interesting things, like when you're hot, you're hot, and maybe easier to treat, or the good, bad, and squirmy behind drug spacing And lastly, why do we stink at gout, or do we? So we'll start with a really rare disease, pigmented villonodular synovitis. I diagnosed one this week. I'm expecting a bonus in my pay. It's like the third one I've seen in my whole career. Interesting, benign tumor happens mostly in knees, but you know what? Actually, it happens in other joints too, including TMJ, elbow, hip, ankle. It's been described in a lot of different joints, so therefore you should consider it in someone who has a chronic monarthritis, usually not too inflammatory, and when you stick that needle in, you may get out a bloody looking kind of effusion. Of course, it wouldn't be from blood because you're good at sticking needles in joints, but obviously the diagnosis is made by either MRI or all that iron pigment that's in that joint shows up as black, black, black on MR or by tissue biopsy. turns out that the only treatment for this appears to be excision. They've experimented with radiation and a few other things, but local excision seems to be the way to go. A nice report comes from the ASBMR meeting, that's the bone and mineral metabolism people, where they actually had a nice report that was presented this past week on patients who are taking the anti-sclerostin drug uh As you know, this is recently approved for postmenopausal osteoporosis. Uh, in this particular study, they add a new caveat to management, and that is patients who have renal disease and renal insufficiency appear to be able to take romosizumab without any particular risk. Now, their patients that they looked at were patients um, who uh, you would expect had benefit as far as fracture risk in hip and spine and uh, femoral neck uh, and improved with rombocizumab. But there was no downside when patients had mild to moderate renal impairment. They actually had too few patients, like 0.9% or something of the patient group that they looked at were in that severe renal uh, impairment group. So there's no conclusions to be made there. Osteoarthritis, a big concern of ours. We make the diagnosis all the time. We'd like to prognosticate on that. We'd like to be master clinicians. Uh, And a really nice study comes from the Osteoarthritis Initiative telling us that the bulge sign, you know, the sign you would do to squeeze the the fluid up to the suprapatellar pouch and then you touch on it and everything kind of slides to uh, the side, showing you a bulge, it appears, indicating mobile fluid. Uh, You need at least 100 cc's to see a bulge sign. Um, They compared uh, certain clinical findings in over 4,000 patients with knee osteoarthritis and showed that the patellar tap, not so good. It was only seen in about 2% of patients. They found the bulge sign in almost 13% of patients. uh, And they showed that uh, having the bulge sign increased the odds of actually having more frequent knee pain by 31%, um, by 50% the odds of actually needing a future knee replacement. So sort of interesting uh, uh, clinical finding that um, sort of reaffirms those great clinical skills that you don't get to use often enough. Uh, A nice sort of sub-study comes from the AVERT trials. Remember the AVERT trial was a study of uh, abitacep in patients who had very early RA. In this particular study, they looked at the utility of MRI and MRI findings, specifically uh, inflammation on MRI. And in the 225 patients they studied, um, nearly half, or 44%, had uh, elevated MRI inflammation uh, at baseline. And when they looked at what happened to those patients, it was clear that like, patients were randomized to receive either abatacept and methotrexate or just methotrexate. It was clear that the combination patients, the combination group, responded best in the group that had MRI inflammation at baseline. They didn't have MRI inflammation or just a low amount of that. It turns out that it didn't seem to matter whether they got methotrexate or the combination of abatacept and methotrexate. Suggesting when you're hot, you're hot, and you have more room to improve on these objective measures like C dye S dye gas remission, etc. So it's not surprising that the patients who respond best are the patients who are most inflamed. Will they all get to the same level of of achievement? It's hard to say from this one study, but. It sort of reaffirms that more aggressive disease should get more aggressive management. Uh, A nice study comes uh, on the use of Actemra and what you can do with it as far as spacing the drug out. We've got tons of studies looking at uh, either drug withdrawal, drug cessation over time after achieving remission, spacing out the dosing to take uh, a half or a quarter and whatnot. So this particular study of 179 RA patients looked at the ability to achieve remission when either they continued their weekly tocilizumab or they went to every two weeks. So the good news is that uh, 73% of patients who went to every two weeks still stayed in remission. The bad news is that if you stayed on a weekly drug, 90% would have stayed in remission. So that's the good and the bad. And if your patient is motivated or you're motivated, the odds are still pretty good the patient can maintain remission. I think, again, the bottom line is when patient achieve remission, you might lessen therapy, but the guidelines and many studies show that withdrawing therapy is just plain idiotic and destined to be met with recurrence of disease. Lenny Calabrese on Twitter just yesterday put out uh, an interesting tweet that said, Why do we take such crappy care of our patients with gout? Is it because we have such divergent guidelines, or are we just overwhelmed? He asked, your take, please. Of course, I jumped right in. My response was, it's sacrilegious, but true. It's sacrilegious to say that even us, the, you know, experts of gout, rheumatologists might not be good at gout. It's actually true. We're not as good as we think we are. We, certainly, we know that primary care, ED physicians, all others are just horrible at managing gout. The question is, why do we think we're so good at it? And why are we not? Well, my answer was, Uh, All of us think we know gout and all of us think we know how to manage gout because we learned it in medical school. It was reinforced in probably all the wrong ways in residency. Uh, And now we just see too few patients to really be good at it. I think that might be a major factor. The other factors are, you know, we don't believe in guidelines. Guidelines are for suckers. It's for other people who don't know what they're doing. Um, And then lastly, the vast majority, not hopefully not rheumatologists, but the vast majority of the world thinks, "Hey, it's either colchicine or allopurinol, and voila, I'm great at managing gout." When in fact, that's not even close to being true. Uh, we fail as rheumatologists because all your patients are on 300 milligrams a day. No one's on higher doses, but yet nobody's actually achieving treat to, treat to target. Forty to sixty percent of patients, even treated by rheumatologists, achieve, achieve treat to target. Could be the patient's fault, but you got to take your responsibility, too. Um, I think the other issues here is that other physicians, but even rheumatologists, don't monitor. Hence, you're not able to get the treat to target. We tend to under-treat. Uh, as I just mentioned. We tend to still use allopurinol 300 milligrams or colchicine um, when there are other ways of treating this disease and being more aggressive. A lot of comments from others on Twitter and talking mainly about how bad internists are without taking any ownership of how we may not be doing good. Someone wisely pointed out that the best studies on on this actually come from treat-to-target protocols run by nurses or pharmacists who manage treatment according to a protocol. And guess what? They are way better than you, the average rheumatologist. Um, Someone mistakenly had some issue in here about uh, allopurinol dosing based on creatinine clearance. You know, the whole idea of adjusting al- allopurinol to the right um, creatinine is gigantically overblown. You can almost use allopurinol at any dose you want as long as you monitor the creatinine. So, patients with a creatinine of two or even three can still get 200, 300, 500 milligrams, 450 milligrams of allopurinol. You just have to monitor. It's really the colchicine that clearly needs to be dosed according to creatinine clearance. And lastly, we should be using EMRs to make us all smarter or all held to a common standard in the management of gout. A nice study comes from uh, a group that looked at what happens when you use treat to target in lupus nephritis. Uh, and, and what is your goal? Well, in this particular study, they looked at 87 patients who had class three and class four lupus nephritis and compared the usual goal of low or no creatinine, achieving a urine, a urine protein-creatinine ratio of less than 0.5. And those patients did well. But they said, what if you were more stringent? What if we went for better levels of improvement and let's move that um, urine protein-creatinine ratio down to 0.15 or less, are the outcomes better? It turns out it was more stringent criteria for success, has lower renal flare rates less overall development of CKD, and more mycophenolate use, suggesting being stringent is probably being better. Uh, We reported last week, but didn't talk about it here, about a New Zealand study about the cost of OA. Uh, In 2013, in the country of New Zealand, the cost of knee OA was about $200 million. Uh, And they project that by uh, 2038, it's gonna go up to 370 million the real question here is why is it going up when treatment isn't really changing? I mean, there's no new drugs on the horizon that are going to increase the cost like we're seeing in rheumatoid arthritis or psoriatic arthritis. You know, there's a cost of care, but the idea is we need to do better how we spend our money, how we develop new drugs, especially for osteoarthritis, which is still managed like it's in Neanderthal days using, you know, rocks, dust, prayer, oh, a little bit of non um, we can do better. ONJ, have you seen it? Are you worried about it? I know your dentists are. Osteonecrosis of the jaw, we know is a rare complication of osteo, uh, sorry, bisphosphonate therapy. Uh, we reported a nice study comes, I think, out of the UK. A half million people followed uh, over an average of eight years. They found a total of 100 cases of osteonecrosis of the jaw who were admitted to the hospital. That's the bias in this particular study. So these numbers are probably worse than reality, um, but nonetheless are somewhat refer- referable. Uh, and what they found was of those patients, a third were on bisphosphonates, uh, two thirds were not. They were all elderly. They were on, uh, on bisphosphonates or not. Turns out the risk of having ONG if you were not on a bisphosphonate was 0.09 per 1,000, or that's nine cases per 100,000 population in five years. If you were on a bisphosphonate, it was 0.69 per 1,000. That's seven cases per 10,000. These are still rare, rare numbers, but there's a magnitude of change here that's notable and worth um, paying attention to. Uh, Patients who had a prior history of cancer on their own were at higher risk for ONJ, the threefold higher risk. Uh, Lastly, there's two more reports. One, long delays in the treatment uh, of inflammatory arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis. In the UK, there's the Rheumatoid Arthritis Society. It's a nonprofit society that does audits based on standards of care established by NICE, N-I-C-E, in the UK and Wales. They looked at the charts of over 20,000 individuals representing all the districts within the UK. And the key findings of that study were that Only 4 in 10 patients with inflammatory arthritis, rheumatoid arthritis, met a three-day standard for referral from their GP. Only 40% were seen in a rheumatology unit within 28 days. And the average, uh, I'm sorry, within three weeks, and the average wait time for an appointment was 28 days. These aren't bad, but these aren't great. And as we talked about under the war in RA, we need to be great if we're really to change the outcomes in RA. We reported earlier in the year about antibiotics influencing the risk of developing rheumatoid arthritis, and yet we have another study, yet again, from the UK. This time, it's another UK uh, um, primary care database, looked at 8,400 newly diagnosed RA patients and compared them to, in a case-controlled manner, to uh, uh, 22,000 controls. So basically, what's that, it's about three to one Um, comparison, RAs to controls, um, one to three I should say. Uh, If you were on antibiotics, you had a dose-related increased risk of developing uh, rheumatoid arthritis with an odds ratio of 2.65. So uh, it's 165% increased risk if you had received greater than 10 antibiotics in the last five years. These numbers are not that dissimilar from that which we reported from another the uh, database in the UK, the UK Clinical Practice Research Database, that looked at twenty-two thousand patients, compared them to a bunch of controls, and they showed an odds ratio increase of one point six, or a sixty percent increase, with antibiotic use, uh, suggesting both studies, suggesting both authors, suggesting that this is a microbiome issue, um, and it could be other things, but it sort of it does seem to indicate that the microbiome might be a major issue in um, the development of rheumatoid arthritis. You know, there's old data that actually says that recurrent uh, infections might lower the risk of rheumatoid arthritis. I don't know how that factors into this. So, anyway, that's it. Make sure you go to the website, check out these citations and more. Make sure you come by the booth at ACR. Rheumdall's got a booth. See these pens? I'm evaluating pens for what our next giveaway is going to be. One of these might could be the one that you'll be carrying away from the meeting. I'm sure I can give you more than a pen at the ACR. We're going to have great coverage. We've got a lot of faculty. We're going to put out lots of information, lots of videos. Should be a lot of fun. We'll see you in Atlanta in just a few weeks. Tune in next week.